This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reforms African American Network. I'm your host for today's podcast and for most of the podcast, not all, but most of the podcast. My name is Tyler Burns and we have our founder, president of the Reformed African American Network, Jamar Tisby on the line as well. Jamar, how are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. Uh, keeping busy, but try to stay out of trouble. A lot, lot, of, lot of catching up to do. Yeah. And, you know, what's great about this is Jamar has recently seen Star Wars finally. Um, so I'm <laughs> very put, curious put what his thoughts there. are on um, the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> well, you know, we we really need Bo on the show to to discuss this through. But I, I literally am like up in the middle of the night thinking through, OK, who are Ray's parents? And <laughs> See, Kylo Ren and Ray aren't. I can't put that out there, can I? It, like spoiler alert all this time. Like I'm just speculating. I'm just speculating. I mean, at this Not point, you're you're so late to the game. Okay. I think it's yeah, okay. They're they're twins, right? No. No. No, they're not nah. twins. There's no chance. There's not twins. How? There's not no chance. Her family left. Producer Bo, you're jumping in right now. <laughs> this, this, is exact, this is exactly what I talked about last week. This is exactly what I talked about last week. Let's see in the comic book. You know, there's you know Jason and who is who is his sister? Jaina. Right? Jaina. Jason and Jen. I don't know why I want to say Jayla, but Jason and Jaina Solo. <laughs> Um, and you know, Jaina is actually a powerful Jedi, yep. you know, and Jason, you know, kind of turns to the dark side and comes back. It's yeah, just a see, weird yeah exactly. They both got the force. That's why he was able to resist her, his, uh, uh, mind control deal. And, and, you know, Oh, she's powerful. The yeah. question is, why is she powerful? Yeah. Who are her parents? What's yeah. her heritage yeah. lineage? So we're thinking, well, we Luke. Know. it's Luke. It's gotta be Luke. With I, whom? <laughs> well, and that's, that's a I question for Luke, another, uh, you don't think it's Luke? Nah, I don't think it's Luke, man. You think I don't it's think Kenobi? She's a Skywalker. You think she's a Kenobi? I don't really know if she is. I hope I hope she's none of them. <laughs> All right. We she didn't come out of nowhere. That expands there's there's got to be a connection from somebody in this film. This I is, hope people are still listening. I'm sorry. I was about to say, this is a, this is a conversation. <laughs> this is a conversation for another time. We just acted like we're not recording. Yeah, exactly. We just... but. But there were so many reflections. I loved the little spark of love interest between uh, uh, the two main characters, Ray and my guy. I know his real Finn. name, Finn, yeah. but FN, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yes, yes, yes. So that was cute. I like that part. And then it was just, it was a redone plot to a certain extent. Yeah, but like that, Bo that says, you play the classics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so I'm going to jump off now, by the way. And it was kind of mirthful. It was kind of lighthearted. Like with, with all the Batman movies out and, and these these other uh, superhero films coming out that are so dark and heavy, this was this was an, a nice change of pace. Like you could laugh at certain parts and uh, you could smile with the characters. So I appreciated that. And that, that, I think, is a carryover from the original Star Wars movies, which were dramatic 
for sure, but they also had this element of lightheartedness that made you enjoy it and not just feel like you walked out of the apocalypse or something. Uh, that's funny. That's funny. That's good, man. Yeah, we definitely need to talk about that more. We're going to bring some other people on, you know, to, yeah, to dish about that. We know we got some that. Star Trek fans listening too, so we're praying for you guys and, and it's okay. There's uh, there's forgiveness at the cross. But, um, but yeah, man, so Jamar, I, I don't want to waste any time getting into this very interesting article that you wrote for Rand Network, and it is entitled Reform Theology is Indigenous to African-American Christianity. And I want you to get into that. And, you know, I had some <laughs> thoughts um, on on the article, yes, you did. particularly the title and <laughs> um, and not anything bad. Um, but I just want to I don't know, maybe push back, but I, I want to hear your explanation. And I want first of all, if you have not read the article, I want you to stop what you're doing right now, pause the podcast, we will wait for you, and go to randnetwork.org and read this article, which came out recently. And uh, Jamar, just give us a synopsis. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome how you made this, you know, fun, positive article, all controversial and whatnot. I appreciate that, Bo. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but see how we did it. See, this is this is why you guys need to join the the private pass my Facebook group because yep. I only did it there. So I didn't tweet about uh, yeah, it or good. put it on Facebook. I only did it there. So. Very good. Well, the 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 post is called "Reform Theology Is Indigenous to African American Christianity," and by indigenous indigenous, I just mean it it, it was original to African American Christianity. And so what triggered or sparked the idea for this post? I mean, it comes from a lot of different comments and conversations that folks who are Black and Reformed tend to have about this. Uh, the controversy is that, well, Reformed theology, especially if you're talking about it being rooted in the historic Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, that's a largely European and Caucasian uh, type of movement. In terms of the, the strict formula um, the systematic theology, that which is written down, the thing, the books we study, those kinds of things is very European. And so a lot of people will say, okay, well, this is like the white man's religion or something. But the reality is that when people of African descent uh, were first brought to North America, uh, the Christianity they learned was largely Reformed, largely Calvinistic. And so what triggered that was being at Together for the Gospel, they showed a video clip of Elder D.J. Ward, who was the pastor at Main Street Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. He died in 2008, but for 40 years he had a ministry at various different churches and was preaching what we would call Reformed theology. So they did this clip at the conference, and it was very powerful. He's preaching in you know what you would think of as traditional black preaching style, but he's talking about uh, you know the the sovereignty of God. He's saying the death of Christ was not an attempt; it was an accomplishment. And he'll say, uh, "Now I hear this: that God has done all He can do, and the rest is up to you." And then Elder Ward goes on to say, "If the rest is up to you, then He did an accomplishment." He didn't accomplish it. If anything is up to you, he didn't accomplish it. So that was one part. And then I highlighted a couple other um, African-American pastors who were pretty self-consciously reformed. One is Lemuel Haynes, who was um, the first African-American ordained by any religious body in America. He lived from 1753 to 1833, ministered largely in New England, and you know his, his thoughts and preaching were reformed. And another guy was uh, Bishop Payne um, that uh, helped found the 
African Methodist Episcopal Church and, and was sort of instrumental in getting the, the organization going. And he was pretty um, in his preaching and teaching reform. So I, I just did all that to say that, look, historically, this isn't foreign to the black church tradition. It's not something new. And in a sense, this resurgence, if you will, is more of a return to first principles than an innovation. And I think that's a great explanation. And, and I love those examples that you gave. Uh, Lemuel Haynes in particular is one of my personal heroes, um, just studying his life. And the the book that you referenced, The Faithful Preacher by uh, Pastor Tabidi, uh, Tabidi Anyabwile, who is a, a friend of the show, been on the show many times, um, is a great work. And it definitely changed my perspective of the inclusion of African-American ministers within the Reformed theology camp. However, you're going to have to explain to me a little bit more what you mean by indigenous, because I know you you gave a very brief definition, because much of my, the way I respond to the article will hinge and has hinged on my interpretation of what indigenous means. Um, Not necessarily inclusive in the tradition of African-American Christianity, but it sounds like it was the core of African-American Christianity. So can you tease out a little bit more what you mean by indigenous and if you think what I just said is true? I think you're bringing up a good point. You know, does does indigenous mean this is what characterized Christianity among African-Americans broadly or Mm -hmm. does it mean it was there? in some degree and um, in some quantity in the earliest days when people of African descent were becoming Christians in North mm-hmm. America. I tend, in writing this post, I was thinking of the latter, um, mm. so that many of the missionaries who came down, who, who, who a lot of them came down from the North, um, were Calvinistic in mm-hmm. their persuasions. And so the 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 gospel they preached would have been uh, would have been would have adhered to some of these big ideas of reformed theology, particularly the sovereignty of God over all things, um, more controversially the sovereignty of God in election, those kinds of things, the authority of the Bible, those were all pretty I would say I would I would go to say pretty commonplace. Um, but what but what's your concern? Well, I, so I would say that those things are orthodox, yep, right? Yep. Now, those things are, are orthodox theology. I'm not necessarily talking about tulip per se, but God's sovereignty, you know, the authority of Scripture, the centrality of Christ, the glory of God, the sufficiency of Christ and his sacrifice, as you mentioned in the article. I think those things are orthodoxy. Yep. And I think I see that there's a tendency in Reformed theological kit. Okay, so let me let me actually put this out here. But before, because I think this is important. Like I am a Calvinist, you know. I don't. I don't think that's there's there's any doubt about that. If you listen to the podcast, um, you know, unless you make me quote creeds and confessions like live <laughs> on air, it's an inside joke. But um, so I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I I sense maybe a a hesitation in me to reflexively claim reform theology for people who might not wave that banner. And I'm not saying you did that, but I think there's a tendency within the camp that we're in. Because first of all, people would look at me and say, well, you're not actually reformed. You're, you're Calvinist or you're reformational, but you're not actually reformed because you need to be covenantal or, and, and pedo-baptist mm-hmm. and, the, and these other things that have historically 
reform theology has historically meant the inclusion of all these things under that umbrella. So I'm kind of, I don't know, morphing the term because that's what we've done now. The young restless reform, neo reformed, whatever you want to call it. But I've kind of morphed the term to fit the doctrines of grace into that and my adherence to that and core creeds and confessions to mean that I am quote unquote reformed. Mm -hmm. But people would even look at that and say, well, are you really reformed? And that's just an example to say, when we say reformed theology is indigenous and has a long history in African-American Christianity, what I think we mean is that orthodoxy has a long history in African-American Christianity. And I don't want us to equate reformed theology alone with orthodox Christianity. And what I mean by that is this, if you're not reformed, you're not orthodox. Right, right, right. Now, now, now that's my that's my tension is that there are, are figures and people who are highlighted in, in terms of indigenous African-American uh, Christianity and, and the history and the lineage that would not have been quote unquote reformed, but were faithful and orthodox. They may not have come down the same way that we do on TULIP, but if you make everyone agree with TULIP before you consider them orthodox, you know, I think that's dangerous. I think that's tribal, actually. So I'm not saying that's what you were doing, but my it my knee jerk was mainly towards the the title because I'm like, man, well, is that is that really true? Like, for example, some of the people who I, I listen to and, and who I've heard and who have greatly impacted my life from a from a pastoral perspective were not reformed. Or or if they if they if they are, I don't know it. You know, some of my best yep. friends in ministry are not reformed. If they are, I don't know it, but they're orthodox, yep. right? Like they're not skirting around key doctrines, but they don't wave the banner and say, yes, I'm attending this conference and that conference and y'all see me here and I'll be posted there. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So I think that's my that's my general hesitation is to equate everything that agrees with our construct as that is the only orthodox theology. Now, do I believe reformed theology is biblical as you stated in the article? Absolutely. But I also know that it's it's limited in scope. It's not the perfect explanation of all things theological. I just think it's the most cogent, right? That's good. So that's that's I think my light pushback. Yeah, I I completely get that, and it's that's that's a strong point to make because you know people will talk about like cage stage Calvinists um, right, and, right. and people who perhaps didn't grow up with the doctrines of grace or even just formal kind of articulations of Reformed theology somehow get exposed to it, they love it, they grasp it, they sense its richness, its robustness, and then they're all about it. And what happens is anybody who's not Reformed or not Calvinistic, you're not Orthodox, and everybody's got to sign on to these prescriptions, and it depends on what circles you're in and where you draw the lines, right? So I'm in the Presbyterian Church in America, PCA, and as a denomination, we are confessionally reformed. So that means all Absolutely. the elders have to ascribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it is that formulation of reformed theology that we call reformed. But there are other denominations that may not be confessional or may use a different creed or confession, like the London Baptist Confession. And, you know, right. that describes true, tr- not only just true, for some people, that describes what it means to be reformed. For others, that not only describes what it means to be reformed, but what it means to be orthodox, which is what you're you're saying. Exactly. Um, right. I would say in the article, I was highlighting particularly uh, preachers who, in terms of sovereignty and election, 
would be Calvinistic as opposed to mm-hmm. Arminian. Right. And I think you, I think there are plenty of people who may never even use those words, um, exactly. who, are, who are Orthodox and are preaching and teaching the Bible as accurately as possible. Um, but I agree with you. We can't just say only people who are reformed, and certainly much less people who are self-consciously reformed, are the only ones mm-hmm. preaching the gospel. Well, and I think this actually leads into you know, how we view the black church in general, right? Yes. Like how we view yes. the the rising of African-American Christianity. And I think some people in in, in our conversation that we had on the, on the Facebook group, which was very brief, we're talking about the perception of black Christianity. Like these, you know, when you think of, of Christianity in the black church, who you think of, I think it depends. I think there's two main camps. Um, so, well, some people would say you shouldn't think of the church in terms of black and white, but we're talking about just from a, a social phenomenon, what is the black church, right? The, the, the collective of predominantly black congregants um, and the expression and the uniqueness that comes from that. But I think there's two camps. We would see that most people would think of black theology or African-American Christianity. Well, I should say three camps. One is you think of it from the televangelist perspective. Mm-hmm. So you would think of these popular names of people who, you know, from my observation and from a lot of people's observation would play a little fast and loose with the text, mm-hmm. right? Would play very fast and loose with the text and and would in some cases preach false theology. But then you would have other people who would say that their interpretation of the black church are only people who are reformed, only people who are you know, Calvinistic and confessional, all these other things. But I think there's another, and that would be the historic black church in terms of civil rights. Yep. And what I've most come in contact with is people who will who will say, well, yeah, the historic black church cared about social social justice, but it didn't care about orthodoxy. Mm. And, and and I would say, whoa, <laughs> where where are we getting that from? Yeah. Who told us that? And it's part of my hesitation. Because when people make announcements about, hey, listen, we've, you know, there, there are reform pastors in the, in, the, in, in the black church tradition. And I would say, yeah, but why are you saying that? Hmm. Like, if you do study, you would see that sound theology is present and there's shoddy theology present. There's orthodox and heretical theology present in every single community. Yep. So why do we need to defend the fact that, oh, well, well we, have, we have solid teachers, too. Well, yeah, but yeah. why do we feel the need to defend that? Like, it's almost as though we, we're, we're compensating for the fact that people view us, uh, you know, in the traditional black church as simply just, oh, this civil rights group. Yeah. Like, the only people they know is, is Dr. King. Yeah. Like I had a, a well-meaning brother, a white pastor, ask me, um, I made a statement about the African-American tradition um, of preaching. And he asked me, well, who are you referring to? Who are these leaders you're referring to? Are you referring to Dr. King, Ralph Abernathy? Or you? And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> I appreciate them, but that's not who I was talking about. Like, I'm talking about people going all the way back to, to the Daniel Paynes. I'm talking all the way back to, you know, Richard Allen. I'm, I'm talking those people. I'm not just talking the people who got on television. I think that's how people view the black church yeah. is just in that lens. So I think, I mean, talk about that. Is it, that has to play a role in how we view the theology, right? That's that's mad important. It's so important. I think in terms of the black church, you know, like you said, as as a social phenomenon, 
what I think of most of all is is Bible preachers and teachers. Absolutely, like hundred percent. You know the 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 one thing to this day, even if somebody doesn't ever go to church, if you talk to somebody who's African American and you ask them, do they be, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe it's God's word? I mean, so 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 many, and you can look at the Pew, you know, surveys and the religious surveys, and and consistently still, African Americans as a you know demographic group are among mm-hmm. the highest, if not the highest, um, adherents to Christianity and specific doctrines uh, like the authority of of the Bible, um, the importance of prayer, things of that nature. And I just I think of the Black Church as a, as a as a Bible believing and teaching church. And what that means is people with whatever level of education and training they have, attempt to preach the Bible. And a lot of times they're preaching and teaching what we would call formally Reformed theology and never know it, never use the the language, never use the categories or the framework. They're just preaching and teaching the Bible, which, by the way, is why we believe so strongly in Reformed theology as a formulation is because we do believe it's simply biblical teaching. And so there are going to be a lot of folks out there um, you know, of, of all races who are just trying to preach the Bible as best they can. And as they do that, there's a whole bunch of coherence with what we would call Reformed theology. So, you know, beyond the civil rights church and the role that the church played during that era, beyond the televangelists and the big names who are, like you say, playing fast and loose with the text, my experience with the black church has been Faithful preachers and teachers doing mm-hmm. the best they can with what they have in the word. And that's yeah. it. Absolutely. And and to, to add another point to that is I've also rich liturgy. Yeah, you know, boy. Yeah. I mean, rich liturgy. To the to the I mean, every church really has a liturgy. So I mean, yeah. you know, I know the the true technical term would be, you know, the the very strict adherence to you know, praying the Bible, preaching the Bible, singing the Bible, proclaiming it um, so that people are drenched in that and praise God for that. But I think sometimes some things are so are biblical, but don't get traction. I was talking to a brother and you're talking about the um, young brother. He's a, a few years older than me. And he was talking about the phenomenon of devotions in the black church, right, where people get up. And they'll say the same that, you know, they'll, they'll get up before the service and it'll be the deacon board or it'll be the elders. And they'll just they'll be they'll be singing. And 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 it's I remember the first time I encountered it, it was almost to me like foreign and and babble to me. Mm. You know, I said, man, this is nonsense. But I didn't listen to what they were saying. I had been so trained to think of any sort of celebratory or oratory was emotionalism. Uh huh. Again, because of because of popular examples. Yep. So you see popular examples, and people are turned up in a frenzy about false doctrine, and you would say, "Well, that's that's emotionalism. That's not that's not Christianity. That's not orthodox." But they were orthodox in this particular church that I attended. They were orthodox in a way that introduced me to a different form of expression of those core truths. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think people are so quick to stiff arm those. Who have not been co-signed by mm. seminaries mm. or theological traditions or websites that they don't think anybody exists. Like I've heard, I cannot tell you how many times I hear this. People say, "Man, I didn't know there was enough reformed people to have a re- reformed black people to have a RAND network." <laughs> and I'm saying, "Man, yeah. I, I, I understand. I understand where they're coming from, and I don't take offense to it because they're not highlighted, yep. you know. And we don't have to be like 
highlighted in the sense of put on a pedestal, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not exposed. And, And okay. So that's part of my, my struggle and frustration is people start to think that because there's not enough people being highlighted in, um, because there's not black people or people of color being highlighted in my theological tradition and in my construct, then said minority people group doesn't have sound theology. Right. That's good. That's good. The black church doesn't have. And, and, and what you're saying is I haven't seen enough black pastors preaching orthodoxy. That's not to say that they don't exist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, so and, Give and you mo- an example. Every single year we have um, in our city a number of these. Actually, we have um, one major one. It's called the Seven Sayings of Christ. And so it is on Palm Sunday every year at a very large uh, primitive Baptist church in town. And uh, my father and I, who's also obviously pastor of a church, and we go to this typically. And it's seven pastors um, from, uh, it's kind of an ecumenical, so it may be AME, it may be Baptist, maybe Presbyterian, maybe non-denominational, but it's seven pastors from the area who preach individual sermons on the seven, seven last sayings of Christ on the cross. And so they preach sermons and we sing hymns and et cetera. And it is one of the most rich experiences. Now, there have been some people who have taken the seven sayings and have flipped it into something completely different. But this is just one of the most rich Orthodox experiences every year. I look forward to it. I anticipate it. But it's also in the Black tra- tradition of preaching so that there's oratory and there's, there's celebratory. There may be hoop, but it's, it's biblical, and it's mm-hmm, orthodox, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. well, and, and it's just like, well, you don't know. You've never seen that. So you would go into that place and immediately just say, man, that's, an, that's emotional, man. They're up in here clapping and, and, and shouting for the Lord right. and, and doing whatever. And it's just that's pagan. And it's but but we would say, man, that's that has roots in, in where we came from. And it's beautiful and it's orthodox. And so my my struggle is if we only highlight people who are reformed then we will start to begin to to breed this mentality that there aren't that many and thus there's a defective problem with with African American Christianity in its history and and so that's that's what I'm I'm trying to prevent that tribalism right and there's a tension there because past the mic is a podcast of the Reformed African American Network. So obviously, really, but are we? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you would go there, just yeah. And uh, so, and so that's part of the tension. Uh, obviously, we're going to highlight folks who are Reformed, um, and whether they were explicit about it or not. If we can find it in their sermons, in their singing, in their theology, those are the folks we want to highlight. And part of that reason is not to say that people who aren't Reformed can't be preaching the gospel. Um, It's simply to say that from a historical and a contextual standpoint, you want to look at the words on a page or the preachers we currently hold up. uh, Those are mostly white males. And what we want to say with Rand is, no, there is a a present community of uh, self-identified folks who are African-American or uh, people of color who are Reformed in their theology. This post that I wrote is um, to indicate that this isn't something new. This isn't something that happened in the 21st century, but it's been here for hundreds of years. It's been present in the African-American church tradition. And so we just want to say, hey, we're here. And also the network aspect of RAN 
is to say, not only are we here, but we can, we need to be connected to one another and learn from one another and fellowship with one another. So that's one 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 point. But I think in all of what you're saying, it's critical that African Americans who are Christian don't measure their Christianity by white Christianity, if you will. Yeah, speak, Doc. Speak, Doc. Speak. It, 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 it's, it's, it's this sense that because whites are in the majority, and if you look at a lot of the books, a lot of the websites, a lot of the conferences, those are populated largely by white Christians, whether that's in the Reformed tradition or not. The, the, the tendency is for the minority to measure himself or herself by the standards of the majority, um, and those aren't always biblical, nor are they always the only way to do things. So when it comes to um, worship and liturgy, well, there are differences in style and aesthetics that matter. I'm not saying you can do any old thing in worship, right. not saying that at all, but there could be some preferences that we have that we elevate to the level of principles that cannot be violated. And I think African Americans and any really uh, Christians who are minorities need to be very careful that we're not judging the orthodoxy of our own traditions and people groups by the norms of the dominant culture. We need to be judging our orthodoxy by Scripture. Right. Um, it's, man, that's so that's such a good point. But it's so tempting, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. So, it's so tempting. And I think for me personally, going to um, serving on staff in an environment that would not consider itself to be reformed, um, but I am very openly, you know, reformed in in the way that I preach and teach, um, in the way that I disciple. I came back um, to that environment and and came on staff very combative because I thought now whether while there were things I disagree with, I thought that they weren't ever like my church don't ever preach the gospel. You don't never preach, and it's like what well, wait like. What do you mean? Did you get saved in here? <laughs> yeah, like I got saved <laughs> through my father. My father preaching on on the reality of hell and and the distance of between man and God and 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 my sinfulness and and how that's an affront to God. How I was at war with God? I got saved as a very young child of that. I was convicted in my heart and I repented. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? They would never preach the gospel. Like. A lot of my friends got saved here. Like yep. a lot of people, their their entire marriages were were falling apart, and they got saved here. You know, and do I agree with every? Have I agree with everything? No. Like there's some things that we would say are differences, but I think that's kind of the tradition of African American Christianity. Also, is that we don't have to agree on every single jot and tittle for us to be in communion with you, for right. us to for us to talk. Right. As long as it's orthodox in the fundamentals. We're not stiff arming people who would say, well, I don't really know about Tulip yeah. or I don't really know what you mean when you say this or, or say that. Well, I don't really know about eschatology. Oh, well, you're not my brother. Right. And right, people right. do that. And I'm like, man, it's so but it's, it was so tempting reading the great contributions of, of, you know, phenomenal men of God, like like the John Pipers and 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 even being introduced to 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 other theologians in history, uh, you know, the Calvins and the Luthers and, you know, et cetera. And being introduced to them and just thinking, well, this is the way. Right, right. This is, and it led for me to hate (laughs) African-American expressions of Christianity for no reason other than you're not doing it like these guys. Exactly. Got to do it. And that's so, it's so tempting. It's so tempting. But it's dangerous. And I would encourage, and man, I don't know, I've I've been thinking about this and I've told you guys, I I, want to start something that highlights 
African-American preachers who are doing faithful things in the body of Christ, preaching Orthodox theology. And I remember when Rand, you guys, we ran an article um, on A. Lewis Patterson when he died. And we ran an article on him, and he is like the grandfather of expositional, you know, expository Black preaching. You know, and in that article referenced these names like E.K. Bailey and, and other people. I remember my soul just leaping because these are the people who have had a massive influence on me that nobody would know. But they go verse by verse. They preach the, the gospel. They, in, they exalt Christ. He is the center of every sermon. And they challenge people on sin. All these things that I, I feel so strongly about. And it made me leap because people pass over that stuff. They're like, well, I, I haven't really heard of him. Does he have any books out? <laughs> does he have things I can? Does he have a podcast? What's his platform? How many Twitter followers? Yeah, what's his platform? What's yeah. his, you know, there's people who are faithful, and that's, I guess, my point. There are people who are faithful in all these traditions that we will never know until eternity. Like we will never know that they have handled the word properly and discipled people and been faithful representatives of the gospel in their communities and renewed their city. You know, all for the cause of Christ, and and I think we must be very careful not to exalt people who have platforms solely. But man, there's there's utility in your church. I bet you, if you're listening, there are people in your church who are historically African American in their tradition and preaching and expression, who are preaching solid theology, faithful to the text, discipling people, all the above going on right in your city. You just probably never heard of it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, and it gets to a bigger question of like celebrity pastors and and how do how are we giving not, folks platforms? You might and go there, I'm not going. There. I'm not going there. This episode that's a whole separate episode. Um, <laughs> but there are absolutely faithful preachers and teachers and disciples and missionaries and 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 Sunday school teachers who are who are doing the Lord's work who you'll never hear about. I think I think what this conversation helps us helps to remind us is not to make a caricature of the black church. And we can't only think of the prosperity preachers and say, that's the black church tradition. We can't just say, oh, the civil rights era and, you know, the Ebenezer Baptists and and that's the black church. Number one, obviously, there's immense diversity within any church tradition. Um, but there are commonalities, which I'll preach up and down. I think, I think you can say there's something called the black church. Nevertheless, within that there's great diversity and it would be an extreme disservice and dishonoring to say that anybody who's not preaching reformed theology and is not self-conscious about their preaching reformed theology, isn't preaching the Bible, isn't preaching the gospel that we don't agree with at all. And I'll refer listeners to, it was probably the third podcast we did and it's called why we love the black church. Mm -hmm. It's uh, January 25th, 2014. Why we love the black church. That was a great, I remember listening to that episode and it was a great episode. Um, just the explanation and the points that were made really resonated with me. Because it's, uh, it's always that tension where if you highlight Reformed theology, which, like I said in the beginning, has been traditionally formulated by European men, then the, the assumption, which is a faulty assumption, is that you're somehow denigrating the black church for not being Reformed enough. You know. Well, yeah, that's definitely true. That is a false assumption. Yeah, that is uh, that is a false assumption. Absolutely. The other yeah. resource I'll refer folks to, I've mentioned it here and there, is is something called is a book. It's called How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind 
by Thomas C. Oden, O-D-E-N. We read it for um, my church history class with uh, Sean Lucas at Reformed Theological Seminary, and it blew my mind because he is tracing the African roots of Christianity. I mean, it started geographically much closer to Africa than Europe or North America. And I even said in in the the recent post about Reformed theology being indigenous to the African-American church, I trace it back to Africa and guys like Augustine, a North African, guys like Athanasius, who I love because his nickname was the Black Dwarf. (laughs) And so he was so dark-skinned and so short. I can relate. Um, they don't, they they, don't t- <laughs> you know, they don't talk about that. Part. They don't talk about that. And though. he was a staunch defender of Trinitarian theology. And is Agu- on Trinity on the Trinity, man. Yeah, they Trinitatus. Wow. It's, it's incredible. Um, and so and so we don't tell those stories, or when we do, when their names come up, their ethnicity is not in the picture because. He, you know, a lot of times if it, if it's mentioned in a dominant culture setting, they're not talking about the significance of the fact that these teachings are being formulated, that we still believe and we put in those creeds and those confessions by people of African descent. And even in the Bible, I trace a little bit in the Bible uh, how significant African nations are and ethnicities are within the biblical record, too. And for a minority, that's important, because I can imagine somebody in the majority saying, okay, well, what difference does it make? We're just looking at the content. Well, for somebody who's a minority who doesn't get representation at the conferences, in the books, you know, in the classroom, whatever it might be, to find signs that, hey, we were and are present in this tradition is significant because it feels like we have a place at the table. We have a voice. So just want to put that out there. Man, thank you, Jamar, for just uh, engaging in this conversation and being humble enough just to listen to me, man. I'm, I'm, oh, man. you know, I, 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 this, it was just a, an encouragement for me to, to see the continual highlighting of it, you know, and I think I step back and I say, man, it's beautiful that we have these examples, you know, the Haynes and the, the Pains and the, and the DJ Wards and et cetera. Um, but it's also uh, really encouraging that that we can have this dialogue and have a high view of orthodoxy all in the midst of it without forsaking where we came from. Right, right. And I really appreciate your perspective because I don't know if all the listeners know, but, you know, you're, you're in a, a um, predominantly African-American church, which a lot of times when guys go reformed, they, they aren't or they move <laughs> out of that context. And so I appreciate you because you come from inside of the black church and can speak with a love uh, about the black church as as well as as I do and try to, um, but but it's a different experience being a pastor in that kind of environment, having grown up in that mm-hmm. environment, and so and and then being also able to critique it uh, from absolutely hundred percent informed yeah. standpoint. So we really appreciate your perspective, and I'm thankful for. Your, you know, I wouldn't even call it pushback. I would just say adding to sort of the the conversation and making it more multidimensional. Amen, amen. I appreciate that, brother. And so, guys, we uh, thank you so much for joining us. We want you guys to get in the conversation as well. Tweet us. Um, Jamar's Twitter handle is at Jamar Tisby. Mine is at Burns23. Um, also, rate and review us on iTunes as well. Subscribe to us. Um, that gives us more traction, that gets our podcast out there into more people's um, eyes and ears. And um, we also want you guys to follow us. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Rand Network, as well as the show at underscore past the mic. All these articles, all these conversations are happening at randnetwork.org. 
Also, do not forget to like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Reformed African Americans. Also, there is the private Pass the Mic Facebook group as well. You have to get accepted to be in, but I think everyone has that has applied. So come and, and continue this conversation here. Um, we just want to remind you that Pass the Mic is a collaborative effort between the Reformed African American Network and Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com to discover the highest in quality online audio entertainment. And Our producer for this show... Yes, go ahead. Speaking of Pottery, we are go looking ahead. Yes, for Yes, yes, I almost forgot. <laughs> we're looking for an assistant uh what do we call it? Uh missional apprenticeship. A, a missional <laughs> apprenticeship, which means it's a volunteer position. <laughs> yeah, good <you're right. laughs> To help you're assist right. with uh podcast editing and you can learn literally under one of the best and um most exciting podcast producers Bo is an up and coming guy. He's starting he's an entrepreneur, he's getting investors, he's traveling internationally to talk about um, his podcasting business and skills. So he's really one of the best. So we are looking for somebody, if you have a little bit of podcasting experience, that's preferred. If you have your own equipment and whatnot, that that makes it easier. Um, And so if you are interested, go ahead and email info at RAN Network, info at RAN Network. And let us know, hey, I'm interested in this missional apprenticeship to do some uh, podcast editing. We would love to have tons of submissions and get somebody who can be mentored by one of the best in the business. And you'll help us with Pass the Mic on some editing gigs. And it could lead to um, some 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 other editing positions or whatever it might be. So if you're yeah. interested, hit us up. Come do some free work for Rand Network. Come there on, you go. Come join, do some join, work join everybody else on the team doing free work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, Jamar, thank you so much for this, man. It's been encouraging. Listeners, I hope you have been encouraged and edified as well. And we'll see you soon on the next Pass Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.